Thanks for joining us this week for the Church at Starkey Hills podcast. Be sure to visit our website at starkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Well, amen. Hey, we're going to continue in our journey in this mini-series called Move Shifting Paradigms. And you saw that video right there. What God has done in the last six and a half years is nothing less than miraculous and supernatural. And it's only a taste, just a little taste of all that God wants to do. And I'm convinced and convicted that for us to be all that God wants us to be as a tool in his hand, uh, that we need to shift some paradigms. And we've talked about a few of those things. And the first one was giving. We've got to shift our paradigms regarding our finances and our giving. And, and that, the question for that week or for those two weeks was simply this, whose is it anyway? We have to answer that question when it comes to our personal uh, finances, when it comes to our material possessions. Whose is it anyway? Now, with that being said, next Sunday, the 7th, and the following week, the 14th, we will bring our commitment cards, which you received in your packet. You should have those in your hands. And we hope you've been had that on your refrigerator and you've been praying over it about what God would have you to do. I've already heard amazing, miraculous stories about how God is providing already the gift that was in people's hearts to give. And so don't miss out on the opportunity because I truly believe the floodgates, the windows of heaven, according to Malachi 3, are open and God is in a position where he's blessing those who get engaged in what it is he wants to do. So whose is it anyway giving? Number two paradigm shift that we talked about uh, was loving, which is demonstrated through serving. You can't love anybody well, including God, unless you serve them or serve him. So loving, Jesus showed us that to truly love something is to serve something. So the question we asked and answered was, what's in your hand? Because people often wonder, how can I serve? I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Just look and see what God has placed in your hands, and often that's where he wants you to begin using your gifts for him. So this week, we're going to look at the third paradigm shift, which has to do with reaching reaching, uh, communicating the truth of God's world, uh, word to a lost and dying world. And so the question we're going to ask today is, who cares? Who cares? And that's what we're going to unpack today as we look into Scripture. Now, when we talk about who cares and we talk about reaching the world, it's really important that you and I and we as a church have a firm grasp, a foundational strength about um, who God is and who we are and why God even created us and what happened to us and the fact that when Adam and Eve fell, they fell far, they fell fast, they fell hard, and we're all products of that. And so it's important to know that because then we can understand why God has put in place his plan of redemption, rescue, and restoration, and how he wants to engage you and deploy you in his kingdom agenda. And I'll just pause right there. That should stir you in your soul. If you really know who you are as a sinful person, somebody who has walked away from God more than you can count, and to know that he never stopped loving you, and he never stopped desiring to be in relationship with you, and then to know that he wants to now take you, infuse his gift in you, and send you out according to his agenda, that's just pretty cool. The fact that God would do that should rattle your cage. Now, God created you so he could have a relationship with you. He, he, he didn't create mankind so that we would be left on our own just meandering in lostness further and further away from him. He created us to be in a relationship with him. I want you to know individually, one by one, the God of the universe created you so he could have a forever relationship with you, and he's done everything possible to make it happen. All you have to do is subscribe to his plan. Now, that's really cool. Now, he, he created you, and the reason we know he wants to have, you, to have a relationship with you is he placed his image on you. I want, look at the person next to you and say, you are an image bearer of God. Now, you can just tell him you're not a very good one. Just tell him. Go ahead and tell him. Okay? 
because we all fail miserably at this many times. But the truth, the bottom line reality is out of all that God created, when you read the creation account in Genesis, it's funny, it tells everything it does. And then he refers just simply to all of the billions of galaxies and the billions of stars in each of the billions of galaxies. And it says this about God. He says, and he created the stars too. Womp, womp, womp. I mean, no, no biggie. Just create. There they are. Got them named. Got them numbered. I know when they fall out of the sky. And that's true. That's what scripture says. But out of all of the stuff he created, there's one part of his creation that is the pinnacle, the apex. And it is that which he infused his image on. And it's you. Just think about that. Out of all of the billions of stars and all of the billions of galaxies, when you go out on a dark night and you see all those stars, and to think that as cool as that is, that just reveals the, the glory of God, you are greater than all of that. Okay? Because you have the image of God on you. Maybe you're not convinced. In Genesis chapter 1, it tells us in verse 27. It says, God created humankind in his own image, and the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. He created mankind to have an image, to be his, his image bearer. Now listen, just like God gave his image to you, he took some of his traits, some of his nature. His nature is found only in God the Father, Jesus, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit. When you look at those three beings of God, that's, that's the image that he placed on you, okay? Now, it's corrupted because of our sinful condition, but that's what he wants from you, and that's what he's placed a seed in you to reveal, okay? Now, part of that, part of his nature comes with the ability to choose, God gets to choose. He chooses not to remember our sinfulness. He doesn't forget our sins. He chooses not to remember. God chooses and God has a will. God's will is that all men uh, be saved. He's patient and willing that none perish but all have eternal life. 2 Peter 2.8, I think it is. He has a will. God has a volition. God has a desire. And he placed that in you. Okay, You have the ability to choose, the ability to express your will, and a volitional a position regarding everything that happens in your life. Okay? Now, so what happened, God placed that in the garden in Adam and Eve. And he says, I have everything great for you in store. I have all of this for you, but I'm going to give you a choice. And he knew what their choice would be. He knew that Adam and Eve would choose to rebel and reject his better plan. He knew that, that mankind would reject the best plan and the best design that's ever happened in all of eternity, okay? And he had a plan for that. And that's what we're going to see today. I want you to understand, to understand the gospel, to understand God's love for you, to understand God's desire for you in reaching a lost world. It's really paramount that we understand that foundation, okay? That Adam and Eve had a choice. They chose wrong. All of us are victims of that curse, and God still has a plan. Now, it took an outside source to present this plan. You see, Adam and Eve, after they committed their first sin, after they took up the forbidden tree, they found themselves naked and ashamed in the garden. It's not like on day two they could say, Adam could say, Eve, we kind of choked on that one. Okay, we, we need to redo, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to try really hard today, and if we try hard enough today, we'll fix yesterday. They couldn't fix yesterday. Because to live 100% perfect today, like they thought they could do, only fixes today and makes it right. You can't fix what's already done. There's not enough good today to fix yesterday. So what they needed was an outside source, a perfect, righteous, holy source of rescue, an external source who would come into the equation and offer redemption, restoration, and rescue. Okay. Now, that is what we call and what the Bible calls the gospel. Everybody say the gospel. Everybody say the gospel. Now listen, the gospel is God's rescue plan demonstrating his love for lost mankind who still is an image bearer of himself and who is hopelessly bound to hell. The gospel is the rescue plan that God put in place. And that's what we're going to talk about today. When we talk about a paradigm shift being reaching you and I and this church, all of us need to change and shift our paradigms to a place where we're willing to come out of the closet of Christianity. Everybody else is out of the closet. Christians need to just come on out too and join the world. 
okay? And I, I'm serious about that, man. We need to be sharing Jesus with the world. And so we're going to talk about that today and unpack that today. And so first, just to emphasize how badly this is needed, the first point I call need for the gospel. Need for the gospel. I, I want you to know that you cannot be saved until you, realized how, until you realize how desperately guilty and lost you are. I went to a men's night out Friday night, and Johnny Hunt spoke, and he talked about in Georgia, the governor of Georgia was a member of his church. And so somebody contacted him and said, since you know the governor, I have a friend who we would like to get pardoned. And since you know the governor and he's in your church, can you ask him if he can pardon our friend? And he said he didn't know this, but when he talked to the governor, he said the first thing that has to happen for somebody to be pardoned is they have to own their own guiltiness. They have to confess guilt, okay? Let me help you understand something. There's many people in this world who say they're saved, they call themselves Christian, but they're never saved because they've never owned their own guiltiness. They, it's like Jesus is good and I am too. It's like me and Jesus together, Got this thing figured out, I'm going to heaven. Wrong, wrong, wrong. You get a zero on the test. It's Jesus, it's grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, Scripture alone. That's how you are saved. You try to add yourself into the equation, you just miss the boat of gospel salvation. It is Jesus alone. And so we have to get to a place where we own our guilt. I want you to know, there's no exceptions to this guiltiness. Your mamma, she was a saint. No, she wasn't. She was a sinner. She might have been saved. Okay? And God saw her as a saint. Okay? Well, you know, my dad, boy, he was a preacher. And boy, he just, he, 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 he was a saint. No, no, he was a sinner too. Everybody's sinner. So watch this. As long as Scripture has been in existence, it has revealed this foundational truth. And so we need to get it. Listen to what it says in Isaiah chapter 53. Long before Jesus showed up from heaven to unpack God's rescue plan, Listen to what Isaiah the prophet says. He says, all we, everybody say all, like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone, everybody say everyone, to his own way. He says, everybody like a bunch of sheep have gone their own way. We've turned away from God. That's everybody all. You can look it up in the Hebrew. When he says all, it means all. It says everyone, it's all inclusive. That's you, that's me, that's us, that's the whole world. Have turned like sheep and run away from God. Now, he goes on, and in this prophetic verse, talking about Jesus, he unfurls his rescue plan. In the second half of Isaiah 53, 6, he says this, And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. God says, the Lord, all of us have, like sheep, gone astray. We've gone our own way. But God has taken all of that mess and has been willing to lay it all. On him, on Jesus, his son, on a cross. Jesus, this is the gospel, okay? And, and so there's a need for the gospel. Everybody say, there's a need. Now, I want you to understand there's a lot of confusion when we talk about gospel. There's a lot of ideas and there's a lot of partial truths, but sometimes we don't get the whole package. And so we're going to talk about number two, which is the components of the gospel. The components of the gospel. Uh, if Paul, who was originally Saul, was on a mission to stomp out the people of the way. In other words, to eliminate <clears throat> the early church who was given <clears throat> the truth of God's word to share with the world. And so Saul had an encounter with Jesus while he had papers in his hands to persecute and murder uh, Christians. Thank you, brother. And so, and so I'll give you that $5 later. And so, so he was on a journey to persecute the church. He had papers to do it. It was legal, legitimate. And he met the resurrected Jesus. And Jesus said, Paul, Saul, excuse me, why are you persecuting me? He's like, dude, I don't even know you. He said, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. He blinded him on the road to Damascus. He put him in a home. He fasted for three days. And God changed his name to Paul. He changed the direction and trajectory of his life. And ultimately, he would write more of the New Testament than any other author. Okay? So Paul got it. He, he got a double dose. And, and so this is what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 about the gospel. Here are the components. Don't miss this. He says, first, <clears throat> I passed on to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to Scripture, 
that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to Scripture. This is the gospel. You ready? Now listen. Paul was one of the most educated Jews in the history of mankind. He spoke more, he spoke, they guess, about a half a dozen languages fluently. He, he, he knew the Old Testament, man. He memorized it. He was a Pharisee. He got it. But when he met Jesus, everything changed. And he says right here to the church at Corinth and to you, he says, I'm passing on to you the, th the preeminent truth, the one thing that matters more than anything else I could say to you. This is it. Are you ready? It's the gospel. This is the gospel, the good news about Jesus. And it's three parts. Jesus died. Jesus was buried. And Jesus rose from the dead. It's all three of those. Now, why is that so important that you get that? Why is that so important that you see that in Scripture? Because we live in a foolish world. We live in a foolish, a foolish religious world. There are churches that claim to be Christian churches who deny that Jesus really died on a cross. They say, well, he just passed out from blood loss. And when they took his body down, he was just passed out. Time out. Scripture says he was dead. Jesus, when they took him off the cross, he was as dead as you can make dead. De dead. Everybody say dead. dead. So what the foolish idiots, overeducated gurus of the world say is, well, he passed out. But when they put him in the tomb, that cold rock laying there, he woke up. Okay? It's called the swoon theory, that he just passed out in the coolness of the tomb, man, woke him up. That's baloney. Okay? Jesus was dead, so you know what they did with him? They did with him what you do to dead people in that day. They took his body, they anointed it with spices, they wrapped him with cloth, they put him in a tomb, they sealed it with a rock. They did with Jesus what you do to dead people. Why? Because he was dead. Jesus was dead, Jesus was buried. Now on the third day, the Bible says that he rose from the dead. That's what it says, right? On the third day, according to Scripture, he rose from the dead. Why is that important? Because there's a bunch of people out there who'll say, well, he didn't really raise the dead. They, they, are, they struggle with the resurrection. Let me just go ahead and tell you this. Listen to me. Everybody listen. I'm going to hurt your feelings. If you don't believe Jesus was truly dead, if you don't believe they truly put a dead man in a tomb, if you don't believe that on the third day he resurrected from the dead and is now alive, you're going to hell. Y'all looked at me like somebody going to throw something. Okay, because if, if you don't believe in a dead sacrifice for your sin, if you don't believe in a buried dead man demonstrating what death looks like, if you don't believe in a resurrected Jesus, somebody who overcomes death, hell, and the grave, he, he can't save you. He couldn't save himself. But we believe that, and that's why we have hope. You see, in his death, burial, and resurrection, it painted a picture of what Jesus what life is supposed to be like. Jesus showed us how to live well. Jesus showed us how to die well. Jesus showed us how to be buried well. And Jesus showed us how to rise again and live forever well. That's who Jesus is, and that's what he did. And that is the gospel according to Scripture. Now, how long ago was it that God, through the Holy Spirit, the Theonustus, the breath of God, how long ago was it that he told man that he was going to do something this significant? Okay, you ready? As soon as they messed up. As soon as Adam and Eve took of the forbidden fruit, God was there and had a plan. In fact, in Genesis 3, verse 15, God speaks to Satan, who's Mr. Crafty, the serpent. Listen to what he says. He says, and I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. You know what he says? He says, there's a day coming. When you are going to try to take out my seed, my son. And when that happens, you're going to bruise his heel on a cross. You're going to think you've won. He's going to crush that old head of yours. All right? I want you to know Jesus is the king of the universe. I want you to know that there is nothing that the enemy has that he can launch in your direction that Jesus cannot conquer. The Bible says we are more than conquerors through Christ who strengthens us. Jesus changes everything. The gospel is about God uh, coming into our world to change us and to change everything. I made these notes. This one thing, 
The, the thing that Paul said is of the most importance. It is the gospel. It is the eternal game changer. Listen what it does. It determines the trajectory of your life. It shifts your eternal destiny. It alters your life experiences. It radically liberates your soul. It begins the process of restoring our broken image uh, from because of our sin. It is the beginning when we begin to transform and we become more like the image of Jesus, his son. The gospel, Paul said, and he was right, it's the most important thing. Tell the person beside you, it's the most important thing. Romans 1, Paul said this about the gospel. And we need to get this. I need you to lean in and listen because it's, a, it's, a, it's time for a paradigm shift. It's time we got to move from the way we've been treating the gospel and move to a place that God holds the, go the gospel to be. It, it, we got to move. Listen to what Paul said about the gospel. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it, the gospel, is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes. He says, yeah, and we're ashamed. We don't talk about the gospel. I'm not looking for a show of hands. How many people shared the gospel with somebody this week? Very, very few. We'll talk about it in just a few minutes. I know it's true. Statistically, I'll show you. Okay? we got to change that, man. We've got to be out of the closet with the gospel. Paul said, it is the power of God unto salvation for those that believe. And so the question is, so who cares? Who cares? You want to know who cares? We talked about whose is it anyway. We talked about what's in your hand. Now we're talking about who cares. Who cares? You want to know who cares? The one who shares. The demonstration of who cares is when we find somebody who shares the gospel. If it is the most important thing, why are we blowing up the world with information about every useless thing on the planet? Why does our social media page talk more about a sport than it does a savior? Amen. That was terrible. Amen. It's the truth. If I hurt your feelings, good, write me an ugly email. I'll write you back. Okay? It's the truth. We ought to be ashamed. Unlike Paul, I'm not ashamed. We should be ashamed. Our social media, our conversations, our agenda, our priorities are on everything but what Paul said is the most important thing. And that is taking the gospel to a lost and dying world so that they'll be rescued and redeemed out of their destination, which is hell because of their sinful condition, and set on a path to heaven to spend relation, an eternity in relationship with God the Father, the most important thing. So, number three, spreading the gospel. Now, you may have bought the lie that, well, sharing the gospel, that's the preacher's job. That's a partial truth. It is the preacher's job. In fact, if your preacher doesn't try every week to lean all of Scripture to the gospel, which is what the Bible does, if your preacher doesn't do that, that's me, Okay, fire that one and get one who does, okay? Your preacher should proclaim the gospel. He should do it all the time. He should do it on the road, on the streets, in his life. He should do it on Sunday mornings, okay? Your preacher should look at the congregation as if he's looking at people who are going to burn for eternity, and his job is to get them the information that will change their destiny and move them to a place where they are in the family of God forever, but it's not just the preacher's job. You see, there's a thing called the priesthood of believers. You no longer have a priest to go through. You are a priest. You are a preacher of the word of God. You are supposed to share the gospel. Now, I, I want you to see this in scripture. In Matthew 28, one of the last things that Jesus said, the great commission says this, therefore go Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you to the end of the age. So you and I are, are called to share the gospel. Everybody look right here. I want you to know this. You and you and you and you right there. You just woke up. Yeah, yeah I'm back with you. Okay, you, you. He did. I was, yeah, he knows it's the truth. And you and you, all of you, tell, look at your person next to you. He's talking to you. Okay. You are supposed to share the gospel. 
the good news of Jesus coming into this world to rescue mankind from its sinful condition. And, and it is like Paul said, the most important thing. So who cares? Who cares? If, if who cares is demonstrated by determining who shares, how are we caring? You want to know the truth? We are miserably failing at caring and showing it by sharing. Listen to the, these Barna statistics pre-pandemic. It's worse now. Pre-pandemic, 95% of all Christians have never led anyone to salvation. Do you hear that? 95% have never led one person to Jesus. I know some of you are thinking, woe is me, because you ain't, you ain't done it either. Okay? Listen to this stat. 63% of church leaders have not led anyone to Jesus in over six months. It's why this year 5,000 churches will close their doors for the very last time. It's why many baptistries in the churches of America have been renamed. Now they're a storage facility for like Christmas decorations because nobody's getting saved, because nobody's sharing the gospel. Listen to this one. 80% of the Christian world agree that they should share their belief system with their world. If I ask you, do you think you should be talking about Jesus more? If you're truthful, everybody in here would say, yeah, I need to be talking about him more. Your preacher does. I, I, I'm, 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 it's fair to say that, that, that you would feel the same way. 75% of them say, I'm just uncomfortable doing it. Now, I will ask a question for transparency. Who is a little uncomfortable about sharing the gospel? Raise your hand. Fair, honest. If you didn't raise your hand, come on up here and tell us how to do it. You soul winner, you liar. <laughs> Maybe your hand's paralyzed, had a stroke last night and didn't know it. I don't know. No, we're all uncomfortable. It's offensive. The gospel is offensive to the sinner. We should be uncomfortable, but we should be radically committed to pushing through the uncomfort to let God do something supernatural. And so our call to tell the world is the Great Commission, but unfortunately, we should change the name to the popular omission because many people say, well, I'll attend some. I might sing some. I might even teach or clean some. I might cook some, but I ain't telling Nobody about Jesus. So the Great Commission is now the popular omission. It might be called the marginal position. We've marginalized, diluted, and watered down what Paul said is the most important thing. It could be called the reluctant imposition. I don't want to impose my religion on other people. You need to be imposing. Jesus died on a cross and told you to impose. You want to know the one that drives me nuts? Parents, I get this one, I'm going to hurt somebody's feeling, good, okay? There's parents who say, well, my parents forced their faith on me, and I'm not going to do that to my children. You listen to your preacher, that is the most foolish decision you'll ever make for your children. I want you to know that God in heaven holds you accountable. You're their spiritual leader. You better be imposing your faith on them, and this is why I don't get it. They'll make them brush their cotton-picking teeth change underwear every day, do their homework and go to school, and they won't invest in them about their eternal destiny, it's a foolish decision. Don't You can write me an email, please. I invite it because I'll write you one back. It could be called the untimely tradition. Well, that was for the early church. That was for the disciples. <laughs> if you're a Christian, that's what you are, a disciple. Maybe it's just the calloused condition. We just don't think about the reality of heaven and hell very much. We, we just don't think about it that much. Let me tell you why it's so important that you share the gospel. We have a wonderful couple in our church, Gene and Rhonda Beffrey. I love them. They love Jesus. They love their pastor. It's awesome, okay? Rhonda's mother just passed away a few weeks ago. She was 90, almost 91. She was lost her whole life. And Rhonda prayed for her and witnessed to her. And she, was, she was in church when she was younger, but she didn't live it out. Rhonda prayed for her, witnessed to her. And when she was at the nursing home, well, she was just turned an old cranky, just a cranky old woman. I mean, she just dealt grief out over there, not grace. But shortly before she died, Rhonda witnessed to her 
and told her, listen, I don't know how long you'll be here, but you need to get your heart right with Jesus. You need to be saved. You know what she did? She got saved. Got saved. She got saved, and when she went back to the assisted living, the people didn't know who she was. They're like, she's one of the meanest women we've ever had, and now she's, she's just as sweet as she can be. Okay? Never give up and never stop making the gospel important. And you start with the people around you, the people you love, the people you know, okay, and spread out from there. We've got to get back to the Great Commission. And so it's time for a paradigm shift. I, I want you to know something. The enemy is not playing games, but the church is. I want you to know that this was a pandemic year and our church has grown where most churches, many churches, most churches have struggled. Our finances are greater than they've ever been. Our attendance is what it was before the pandemic or more. We have a lot of new families. We've got about 20 or 30 people saying they want to join the church. Okay, And I don't take any credit for any of that except this. We've pressed on through the pandemic living for God. And when we did so, God has blessed us and he's honored that commitment. I want you to understand something. When God blesses and honors a church, the enemy hates their guts. And so the enemy strapped on his quiver, and he's been firing darts at our church. And he's hit some families that are very, very close to me, and it hurts me, okay? But I want you to know the reality. There is a spiritual game out there, a warfare going on, that you cannot see, but it is as real as the tangible things in this world. And, and, and the enemy is attacking this church. And when that happens, you have three options. I do, you do, our church does. One is to turn tail and run in fear. Two is to just watch in shock. Three is to fight back. It's time that the church fight back. Because we are more than conquerors through Christ who strengthens us. The greatest human being, the God-man, Jesus Christ, is our champion. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords for all of eternity. And he has called us to take a stand in the gap and take the gospel into a lost and dying world. And when the enemy raises up his old head, points his old horns at us and starts speaking his old forked lying tongue at us, it's time that we fight back in Jesus' name in the power of the Holy Spirit and we will see victory. It's true. Now, you don't have to be a part of that. But some of you will. And the ones who will, will experience victory like you've never seen. You'll feel empowered by the Holy Spirit. That there is no weapon formed against me that will prosper. Because Jesus is my champion. And he's already demonstrated victory. Listen, in the gospel, death, burial, and resurrection. He's done it all. All we do is we fly underneath that banner. Okay? Now, so we're called to do this thing. Verse 4. Excuse me, number 4. So what are the approaches? You may be saying, well, I, I, I know, I've always known I need to be sharing the gospel. I know I've got friends who need to hear the gospel. I know I need to be doing this thing, but I, 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 I don't know how to do it. Okay? I don't know what to do. When Kendra and I got married in the, in the 80s, God placed us in just a radically cool church. I mean, it was just on fire for Jesus. The preacher was a big old guy, and he would just snort and holler and carry on. And, man, I needed that. I needed a man to preach God's word to me, okay? I'd been a part of churches, and a preacher, he'd just preach a little this, like that. And I, that was cool, but I, I didn't, it didn't move me. I needed somebody to stand up there and say, hey, I'm going to tell you who God is. I'm going to tell you what God wants in your life, okay? And I'm going to show you how you can do it. And so that's what he was, and I was engaged. And the Holy Spirit just drug me in. And they started doing this, this training for evangelism, Okay, it was called CWT, Continued Witness Training. And then they did one called EE, Evangelism Explosion. And there were programs, and they were, they were great. They were awesome tools, but they were hard. You had to memorize a bunch of scripture. Not my strong suit. Okay, and so, but I learned to do that. And we would go door to door and, and tell people. We'd just go door to door. We'd go to, what, what neighborhood are we doing this week? We'd have 20 teams. We'd meet on Tuesday night. We'd go door. Now you can't do it because there ain't nobody home. Okay. You go to the ball field and do it or wherever, but they're not home, okay? So 
We'd go knock on the door. Hey, we're from Central Baptist Church in Hickson. Uh, we'd just like to talk to you a little bit about God. You know, if you died tonight, are you sure you'd go to heaven? And sometimes it, one of the funniest ones I've shared before, uh, you know, I, we go to church. We already go to church. I said, well, okay, we just talked to you. you know. And I said, well, okay, what church you go to? And this one guy, he goes, Martha, what's the name of our church? <laughs> you go a lot, I see, you know. But here's what happened. I would share the continued witness training storyline, the gospel, just like it told me to, week after week. And we would go back, and we would tell everybody. I shared the gospel eight times, and so many people got saved. I went for weeks, maybe months, ain't nobody got saved. And I thought, man, I'm messing up the gospel. Listen to me. You cannot mess up the gospel. The Holy Spirit of God will push right through your mess up, okay? And, and so I was a little frustrated, felt defeated. We had another old guy. His name's Bill Richards. Every week, yeah, I shared the gospel eight times. Had 14 got saved. Cats and dogs, they all got saved. We baptized them all. I mean, I'm like, what is that? I was jealous. I was mad. And so I went to him. I said, Bill, he set me free. I said, Bill, I, I want to know. I said, why is it ever? you lying? In church, we're telling the same story. And all your people getting saved, and mine are looking at me like a, like a calf at a new gate. And so he goes, listen, he said, you're not held responsible for the fruit. You're just held responsible for planting seed. And I said, huh, oh, yeah? He said, yeah, you, he just, he's giving me fruit, but he's, you're, you're sowing seed. It wasn't long after that, one of the people I visited didn't get saved. And I came back, didn't get saved. A couple weeks later, he went in there, named him by name. Same one I visited, he got him saved. And, and I thought, sow and seed. I wanted to go tell him, you wouldn't have got that fruit if I wouldn't have planted that seed. Okay? But I want you to know, you share the gospel enough, somebody will get saved. And I remember the first person I led to Jesus. I went through the whole CWT thing, and there was a whole little family sitting there. And I told him what Jesus loved him. He had a plan for him, told him the whole program. I said, would you like to receive that tonight? And the mother, she started crying. She said, we would. It was all that was in me. Not to say, you would. <laughs> Bill's not even here, you know. And, and, and so the mother and the two little kids got saved. And it set me on fire. And I realized, I'm going to plant seed till some fruit pops up. And when the fruit pops up, what Paul said, it's the best thing ever, the gospel. And so, number four, approaches to the gospel. Proclamation, evangelism is one way. It's what I do from the pulpit. It's what Clark does on Wednesday night. You may never have a platform to proclaim it to a group of people. But in Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 24, they're preaching, they're proclaiming the gospel. It's proclamation evangelism. Number two is intentional evangelism. You pinpoint somebody and you just start getting ready for the gospel for them. You, and I want to say this, don't take Jesus to somebody that you hadn't already taken them to Jesus first. Before you, before you go tell somebody about Jesus, you get their name in your head and you take that name to Jesus and you pray for them. You say, God, I want you to condition their heart, condition their mind, condition their soul, prepare that ground where I'm going to share the gospel. Get them ready. I'm telling them I want you to save them. Okay? So, it is, it is intentional evangelism. What does it look like in the Bible? It looks like Luke chapter 19, verses 4 through 10. You remember the story, one of the great stories if you were raised in church for a little boy and a little girl, Zacchaeus. A wee little man, wee little man was he. You know, climbed up in a sycamore tree. The Lord he wanted to see. That's the whole Bible story right there. Okay? So what happens, Zacchaeus, the tax collector, goes up in a tree because he wants to see Jesus. Jesus walking down the street, and he goes straight to this one little guy that nobody liked. And he said, hey, Zacchaeus, come on down, bro, because I'm going to your house. I'm going to your house today. He goes to his house. He shares himself with him. Zacchaeus w w repented, and he took back, started paying people back. Okay, it was intentional. Let, let God reveal to you people that need Jesus, and you start praying for them, and you go to them intentionally, not worried about the fruit, just worried about planting seed, all right? The next one is relational evangelism. This is why intentional evangelism is so important. Because when you are intentional about an individual or a family that God burdens you with, you just, you just intentionally start sowing seeds. Because one day it could turn into relational evangelism where a crisis comes up. And when a crisis comes up, they know where to go. They'll go to the person who's demonstrated a sincere care for their condition. And what this looks like 
is in Acts chapter 6, verses 22 through 30. Paul and Silas and the other disciples are in the prison, and they're praying and singing. They're in jail, but they didn't let them get it down, get them down. They just kept singing and praying, praising, going on, telling the other inmates about Jesus. And an earthquake came in the darkness of the night, and it shook so hard that the prison cells were open. And the jailer realized they were all going free. And because he didn't want to stand before the governor, he took his own sword out, and he was getting ready to impale himself and commit suicide. And Paul said, hey, hey, hey. He says, uh, don't, don't do that. Don't, we're all here. We're not going anywhere. And, and the jailer says this, what must I do to be saved? And, and, and he tells him that he got saved. You see, in the crisis, he knew that there was something different about them because of relational evangelism. And then there's another one, personal evangelism. 1 Timothy chapter 1, 12 through 17. Let me just tell you this. If you read the New Testament, just get your little notepad, and every time Paul starts telling his testimony, just put a little mark right there. He never got over sharing his story. He can't help himself. Every time he gets an opportunity, he has to tell how bad he was, and then he has to tell how good Jesus is, and then he has to tell how you can have that too. It's personal evangelism. You need to get comfortable with your story. You need to develop, let the Holy Spirit develop the story of your radical transformation from a hell-bound sinner to a heaven-bound saint. Because when you do that, you'll want to tell it. And I've shared this before. I, I was at Liberty University, and, and uh, this guy, I was in a group with a guy, and, and, and he was a big old guy, and we went to dinner. We were working on a project together. And he said, he, I said, so what's your story, bro? How'd you get called into ministry? And this is a big old guy, and he said he was a bouncer early as high school because he was a big guy raising a rough family. And then he got connected to a, a, a drug dealer, and he started collecting, okay, on, uh, on rental properties in the hood and also on uh, um, people who weren't paying for their, their drugs. And he said he accumulated a lot of wealth. And, uh, and he said that uh, the drug dealer had this beautiful little woman in his little harem or whatever that he kind of had a crush on. He said he loved her. He thought he loved her. And... He said, I'd accumulated a lot of wealth. He said, I had nine fancy cars and 14 homes. And he said, and I swore I would never use the drug I was selling. I mean, I was, I was dealing in and, and collecting on. And he said, I took a, a, a snort of cocaine. And he said, I was instantly hooked. And he said, I sniffed nine cars and 14 homes down up through my nose. And he said, I lost everything. The drug dealer got busted, went to jail. He said, I was hopelessly lost and broke and addicted to drugs. And he got put in jail, and there's that little girl that I was in love with. And he said, I went and told her. He said, I've always loved you, and he's gone. Would you be my wife? And she said, he said, she looked at him and said, I can't be your wife. He said, why? She said, because I was raised in a Christian home. And I always told myself I wouldn't marry anybody that wasn't a Christian. Now, she's living with a dope dealer, but she wouldn't marry anybody but a Christian. You know what he said? He said, I told her, how do you become a Christian? He said, we'll go to church. Went to church on a Sunday night. Preacher preached the gospel. Holy Spirit touched his heart. He walked down the aisle, and the cocaine was gone. He changed him from the inside out, and he got out his phone, and he said, this is her. This is my wife, my three little girls. And he called me to preach. I'm crying. He's crying. He said, tell me your story. I said, from now on, I'm telling your story. Because that's a good one. And listen, up to that point, I'm, I'm talking about I was in Liberty University working on my doctorate. I was always a little bit uncomfortable with my story because my story ain't like that. I kind of wanted a story where I was addicted to heroin, shot my mother, went to prison, and got saved. You know? I mean, that's a good story, right? Mine's different. I was raised in a Christian home. My parents drugged me to church every time the doors were open. I had a drug problem. They drugged me down there, put me in a place where I'd hear from Jesus. And on, a, on a, a Friday night, I was at a revival after the last night of the week, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And I was ignorant. I walked down that aisle as a 10-year-old boy, asked Jesus to save me, and he saved me. And I messed up a lot between then. And, and when I finally gave him my life to go with my heart, and God called me to preach, that's my story. And I said, it's not, I said, I said, it's not like your story. He's crying about my testimony. You know what he said? I wish with everything in me that I would have had your story. He said, mine is not a great testimony. He said, mine is a great transformation. He said, God's choice is for people to experience what you experienced. And from that moment on, I love my story. I love my story. I mean, he got a good story too. But I like my story. I love my story. And you need to love your story. You need to know your story, understand, unpack, put it back together, wrap your arms around it, and tell it. And your story 
becomes a great story when your story connects to his story for his glory. And that's when your story gets real. And that's when God starts to use your story, personal evangelism. But then there's this one, which is the most popular of choice. This is the one that most people choose to operate in. And it's called lifestyle evangelism. A lifestyle evangelism says, I'm not going to talk much about the gospel because it's offensive and it's imposing. I'm not going to share my story. I'm not going to proclaim it strongly, but I'm going to live a life that's just a little bit better than the next guy. And when they watch my life being a little bit better than the next guy, they'll get saved. No, they won't. They'll go to hell based on your lifestyle evangelism. It's this, it's this attitude right here. I don't smoke, smoke cuss, spit, or chew, and I don't run around with many people who do, and because of that, people are going to be saved. There's nothing in the Bible. There's no example of lifestyle evangelism. It's what we fabricated so we don't have to do what we've been commissioned to do, and so it's not even real, and yet that's the most popular choice. Well, my neighbor will see me going to church on Sunday. Got my Bible going to church, okay, so they're going to get saved. No, they won't. No, they won't. It has to be spoken and articulated. It is the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. It's not your lifestyle. It's not your friendliness. It's not your helping people in need. It is the gospel. The, the words, the, the testimony of Jesus and what he's done in your life. So here's the question. How do I start? I hope we're all convicted. I am. That we need to share the gospel more. Because it's the most important thing. And so how do we do that? Okay, I'm going to help you. Here's some tools. First, I want to give you tools, some tools for the gospel. The first one I'm going to call the gospel acronym. The gospel acronym. Right here it is. You can memorize this. It's, you just spell out the word. And you spell out the word gospel, and it articulates the gospel. The G, God created us to be with him. O, our sin separates us from God. S, sin cannot be removed by our own good deeds. P, paying the price for sin. Jesus died and rose again. E, everyone who turns to him in repentance and believes him as Savior and Lord has life. And L, life that is eternal can never be taken away. And there's scriptures to go with it. It's that easy. I want to show you another one. This one's called the best news ever. And we have tracks here that you can carry around in your pocket. The best news ever starts like this. I got bad news. All of us are sinners. That's bad news. But there's worse news. Because we're sinners, we all deserve to die. It just got worse. But you know what? I've got good news, okay? Uh, Jesus died, and God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's good news, but I got the best news. And here it is, Romans 3.23 and Romans 10.9, that it's a free gift of God. And that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we can be saved from all this news. And that's the best news ever. But you want to see the one I like the best? The one I like the best is called the three circles of evangelism. And, and I've showed them to you before, but I want to show them to you again because this is so easy. You just start up a conversation, and here's what happens. Let me ask you a question, transparency. Have you ever had somebody that you thought, man, I, I, don't, I don't think they're saved. I don't think they know Jesus. and I do, and I, I kind of need, need to talk to them about it, but I'm not going to do it today. I'm going to wait. The longer we wait, the, more hard it, the harder it is to tell them. It's a whole lot easier to sit out on an airplane <clears throat> with somebody you ain't ever going to see again and tell them about Jesus than it is the person that's living next door and you've lived there for 10 years and you don't know if they're going to hell or heaven when they die. You've you got your guess, but you've never done anything to affect it. You've never shared. And so you have this conversation, and it goes like this. You just draw a circle on a piece of paper and write in there, hey, God's design. Did you know... That God designed everything with a purpose and a plan, and it was designed in complete perfection. And that out of all that God created, mankind was the pinnacle of his creation. And it's a glorious, godly design. And Adam and Eve were placed in this garden of beginnings, in this perfect design. But God didn't create robots. He gave them the ability to choose. And they chose to reject his perfect design. And you draw an arrow, and you write sin on there. The Bible calls that rejection of God's design sin. And sin, by definition, means to simply miss the mark like an archer. You just don't hit the bullseye of the target. And because of the sin of Adam and Eve, all of us do that. All of us are sinners. I am, you, you are, we are. We're all sinners. And when we sinned, just like Adam and Eve, you draw another circle. And you put, it created brokenness. 
And so we all live in this brokenness, and you don't have to look very far to see it. I can look at it in my own family. I can look at it in my neighborhood. I can look at it in my state. I can look at it in my world. I can look at it in the church. I can look at it in people that I see along the roads of life. Okay? So what we do in a state of brokenness is we realize we're broken. There's something missing. So our tendency is, rather than go back to God's design, we try to fix it ourselves. And so you draw these little squirrely marks on there, these little broken arrows, and you write at the end of them. So some people try to fix their brokenness maybe with alcohol. I can fix it with alcohol, okay? It'll soften the blow of who I know I am. Some people do it with drugs. Some people do it with relationships. Some people do it with material possessions. Some people do it with, uh, uh, with, with uh, uh, success. So, so you just make a list. It can be whatever. It's, it's whatever it is. We try to fix it. But the whole time we're trying to fix it, we stay right there in the broken circle because we can't fix ourselves. But God, part of his original design was a plan to rescue us from our brokenness. And you draw another circle and you write gospel. The gospel is the good news of Jesus coming to this earth, dying on a cross, being buried for three days, and rising from the dead to pay our penalty and to fix and restore our brokenness. And so how do we get from brokenness to this gospel? You draw another arrow. The Bible says if you'll repent of your sin, meaning change your mind about your condition, own who you are, change your mind about the grievous nature of what you do called sin, if you just repent, change your mind about that, and believe in the story of God's design healing our brokenness through Jesus, the gospel, then look what happens. We put another arrow and we say we can recover and pursue when we get this, it makes a loop, and we land back in God's original design, and we begin to pursue those around us because somebody told us the good news. And now our, the, our destiny is changed. Now our life has a new trajectory. And because of that, I want to tell the world about my testimony. And so that's called the three circles of evangelism. Now, uh, I want to be fair. You may be thinking, well, that didn't seem too hard. If you didn't think that it, it, those didn't sound too hard, say, that's not too bad. There's about half of you. Okay, rest of you, we'll have to simplify it next time. I'll bring you, you know, a felt board. Okay? And so, so I want to be fair. Just like I told the story about sharing the gospel a bunch and people didn't get saved, but one day they did. I, I want you to understand that, that in Scripture, there's responses to the gospel, number six. In Mark chapter 15, verse 12, Pilate, standing next to Jesus, says, says this, Then what do you want me to do with the one you call king of the Jews? That's one response. What am I supposed to do with this guy named Jesus? Another one is found in John 6, 68. Simon Peter got it, and he says, Lord, to Jesus asked him, Are you going to leave me? He says, To Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Some will get it. And then there's one found in Acts chapter 26, verse 28. It's King Agrippa. He tells Paul, in such a short time, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. Okay? And then there's one in Acts chapter 19, verse 8, that says, but some were stubborn, and they refused to believe, reviling the way. And then Acts 16.30, the story I told early, earlier about the, the jailer. He said, what must I do to be saved? I want you to understand something. Those responses are real. God doesn't hold you responsible for the responses of others. God holds you responsible for sharing the gospel. Now, let's finish this up. You might be here and you say, well, I've never done that because I'm just not comfortable with that. I just want to remind you of a convicting, uh, convicting reality. Here it is. Jesus was strapped to a whipping post and beaten to a bloody pulp for you. That wasn't comfortable either. Jesus was stripped naked and paraded through a town shamed for you. That wasn't comfortable for the Son of God either. Jesus was spat upon cursed at and laughed at for you. 
that wasn't comfortable for the king of the universe for you. Jesus had nails driven through his hands and his feet. Nothing comfortable about that. Jesus had a spear shoved through his lungs and his heart for you. Nothing comfortable about that. And you're bashful. I think it's time for a paradigm shift. I think it's time that we get over the bashful. I think it's time that we get over the quietness about the gospel. I think it's time that you and I shifted paradigms and demonstrated to a world who cares. Lastly, maybe you can't see yourself telling anybody the good news of Jesus. Maybe you are such an introvert, you can't even tell your own four-year-old about Jesus. By the way, you want to know a good practice zone for sharing the gospel? Little boys and girls, your children and your grandchildren, because they got childlike faith, man, and they'll encourage you. They'll tell you about Jesus, all right? So I want to make it real easy. Ground zero, ground zero. Are you ready? I call number seven, invitations to the gospel. Just invitations to the gospel. If you're afraid to tell them, you look up here. I ain't scared. I'll tell them. All you have to do is get them here. I'll tell them. It's my goal, my conviction, my passion every week to lead every message to a place where I can share the gospel so that if somebody's lost, they'll hear it and have an encounter with the true and living Jesus Christ that changes their eternal destiny. Luke chapter 14, it's in the Bible too that we just invite people. How about that? So you can start this right now. Watch this. Luke 14, verse 23. And the Lord said to his servant, if you're a Christian, you're his servant. He says, go out into the highways and into the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. Now, I want you to understand the significance of that command. He says, I want my house to be full. He wants this church house to be full. That's part of the house. But he's talking about his eternal house. He's talking about inviting, compelling them in so that they'll hear the life-changing message of the gospel and that his house, heaven, will be filled because he wants all to be saved, all to come to repentance. And he wants to use you in getting them to that place. But you know what we do? You know what we do? We invite people to dinner. We invite people to a movie. We invite people over to grill out. We invite people to the park. We invite people to a ball game. We invite people to the lake. Meanwhile, there's a world out there that the lake, the ball field, dinner, a cookout will never, never offer eternal hope. You can invite them to a place where they will have an encounter with the truth of the gospel. So the title of the message was this. Are you ready? Who cares? God cared enough to provide the gospel. Jesus cared enough to complete the gospel. The early church cared enough to die a martyr's death to proclaim the gospel. Somebody along your life's journey cared enough to tell you the gospel and it's time right now that you start caring about the gospel. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want to ask you a question. If you're here today and you just realized you have never allowed the gospel of Jesus to penetrate your life and save you and rescue you from your broken condition. I want you to know that God loves you so much you can't even understand it. I want you to know that he cannot love you more than he loves you right now. I want you to know that right now his desire is that you receive his grace gift of forgiveness and healing and rescue. All you have to do is receive what he has extended to you. And maybe you're here and in this moment you feel something. You didn't come for this, but in this moment, you feel something bigger than yourself, bigger than the preacher, bigger than the person you're sitting next to. 
touching you down deep in the depth of who you are, inviting you into something bigger. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And maybe today you simply need to humbly say, God, I know I'm a sinner. And God, just like that second circle, I walk in a world of brokenness and I have tried to fix myself. But God, the gospel is the power of God that saves. I want that. I repent of my sin. I place my belief and my trust in Jesus. I want Jesus to be my Savior, but I want Him to be my Lord and my King forever. Help me in this moment right here. Receive your gift that I would be saved and my life would change. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for saving somebody like me. In Jesus' name. Now maybe you just prayed that prayer and you meant it from your heart and God heard you and he responded by saving you. If he did that today, you need to make that known. I want you to call me or somebody here in the church because we want to encourage you. We want to help you. We want to help you with some tools to move forward so that you don't get disappointed in your walk with God because the world now stands against you. Let us know about it and we'll help you. I want to invite you now to stand and we're going to sing. And I got one challenge for you. Let's get out there and make our mark in Jesus' name through the powerful gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's sing. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.